Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensvi. I'm your host. And this week we have Joseph Cohen on the podcast. Joseph is the founder of Universe. And what essentially Universe does is it allows you to build websites via no code, which is something fairly new. I don't think too many people know of it. But right now, if, if you're on your computer and you want to w- build a website, you'll go to Squarespace or Wix or you know one of these different websites. They're all based on, on templates and they're very conformative in a sense because you have to use those templates and there's not too much space for you to use, I guess, your imagination or creativity. This one is, it's an app. It's completely different. You build a website through an app, which if I'm not mistaken, they are the first ones to do so. And no code just allows you according to Joseph, to have much more creativity. There's no constraints like there would be with these other websites. So you can build something that the company that made the app won't even think of or hasn't even come up with. So there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of room for new innovation there. And I don't want to get too much into it in the intro because... I don't feel like I'm as proficient as I should be on this subject. So I don't, I don't like talking about things that I, I don't feel like I got a good uh, grip on. But luckily, we have an expert uh, in Joseph, and he's a very articulate and an analytical thinker, and he can explain this to you way, 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 way better than I ever could. So I enjoyed listening to him explain the company, the thought process, um, hiring process, how they see things and where does he see the future as far as the different interfaces that we're going to be using, where he sees universe. Yeah, it was just a really fun conversation. I love the fact that people pause to give you a really genuine answer and they take a second because I'm like that as well. I am not quote unquote quick thinker. I like to sometimes digest an idea for for a minute or so and think about it before I, I give a person an answer or sometimes before I even know how I feel about a certain topic or a subject. And I feel like there were certain instances where he kind of had to stop for a second and think, okay, what is my opinion on this? What's the best way forward? And then he gives an answer that's just amazing. Or So I I thoroughly enjoyed our, our conversation. Um, I thought it was a really fun to really fun to get some of the insights that Joseph has on the snow code movement and how he sees things progressing. He has a quote that he basically says, we want to create things the way we see them in the real world. And I thought that was an interesting take on how he sees building the company and building the interface that they have. And I'm not going to go into everything he said on that specific uh, quote, but if you listen to the episode, he'll explain it very well. And I left the episode thinking differently uh, on a few different topics. So I love when that happens. I love when people stimulate my brain, uh, you can say, and get me thinking a little differently on things. So I'm going to put all the information, the necessary information about Joseph about the company universe uh, in the show notes that'll make it very easy for you guys to just click on it and and uh, go and find it and download it if you're interested 
it's super interesting. It's something that I'm definitely going to look into. And yeah, as far as the actual show, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. I feel like this is a show that you really don't want to miss if you're into entrepreneurship. What are some mistakes that entrepreneurs do? That's something we also talk about. And I definitely agree with uh, with Joe on that one. That's something that I'm guilty of as well. But it's a work in progress. Guys, subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends if you feel like it's something you love. And yeah, I'm happy that people are tuning in each week. And more and more people are tuning in each week. I'm happy that you guys are enjoying the podcast. So without further ado, here is this week's guest, Joseph Cohen. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Hey, good to be here. Thanks for coming, man. Uh, appreciate the time. Where, where are we finding you right now? I am in uh, Dutchess County, New York, which is about an hour and a half north of the city. Um, you know, spending some time quarantining over here. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be a little bit with some greenery and some fresh air, right? Absolutely. It's a good contrast to my studio apartment in Brooklyn. <laughs> so is that where you're originally from, from Brooklyn? I am. I am born Brooklyn, born and bred. Uh, I currently live there, but I live in a very different part of Brooklyn than from where I grew up. And maybe, t- you know, how did you grow up? Uh, big family, small family? What was the structure? Yeah, so I grew up in a uh, pretty tight-knit Jewish community, Syrian Jewish community. So uh, my family is originally from Syria. Uh, and they emigrated to the U.S. in the early 1900s, um, and uh, they've they've sort of been a part of this incredibly tight knit um, community in Midwood, Brooklyn, um, and uh, big families, very sort of family oriented. Uh, you know, my grandparents lived across the street, and my uncle lived next door, and you know, sort of incredibly tight knit. Um, First of, I'm the first of four in my family, so I have three younger siblings, and um, you know, just grew up uh, around that world. So went to a Jewish school, uh, you know, and I think my world was like pretty small until I discovered uh, the internet when I was about ten, uh, and and computers, and um, even though I was growing up in New York City. Brooklyn has these sort of micro communities, these enclaves, and you could almost forget that you're part of this larger metropolis. Yep. And so up until that point, like I felt almost like I lived in a village. Um, but getting on the internet was like access to this sort of universal metropolis. Um, and it opened my eyes to the world, to what was possible. Um, and I just became incredibly inspired and energized to build things, to um, you know, sort of follow some of my passions. Um, and uh, you know, like I said, went to to this Jewish school. Didn't really like it, um, but uh, at some point, I I thought you know I, I started a bunch of businesses growing up. 
was always interested in sort of um, business, uh, technology, computers, and then design and the arts. So there's sort of three things. Um, and, you know, I grew up around uh, many entrepreneurs. Uh, my mom is an entrepreneur. My dad is an entrepreneur. My grandfather is an entrepreneur. So around a lot of uh, business people, but they were all, you know, in more traditional industries, clothing. My mom's a wedding planner. Uh, my dad has a retail store. And so, you know, for me, it was really interesting to learn the language of business um, as a medium to be creative with um, and then sort of marry my interest of sort of design and technology uh, with that, that fabric. Um, and so I was thinking about where I wanted to go to college. Um, if, if I did even want to go to college, I was really itching to start a company. Um, and so I said, okay, if I want to start a company, I should go to a business school. Um, I said, okay, I want to go to the best business school and there's Wharton. And so I applied and got into Wharton and ended up going there. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can cut me off, but while I was there, I started my first company, which I can tell you about. Um, but I say, you know, throughout growing up, started various different things, the, the business that sort of preoccupied my high school and then sort of college years was uh, I was a DJ. Uh, so I started wow. getting into, uh, you know, very much at that intersection of like art, technology, business. Um, but yeah, that's a bit of a rant and a little bit of my background. I oh, know we, we, you know, this is an open platform. There's no time limitations. We can talk for hours. Um, so did you have support from your family? Because I know, uh, you know, some religious families, they, they want their sons or daughters to go in a very specific route. But it seems like your, you know, your family is much more entrepreneurial. So I'm assuming there was a lot of probably support, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think my family has been largely supportive. Um, I think that. Um, I I chose a different path than anyone that I knew growing up. Um, and then I think anyone, anyone that my parents knew growing up. Um, and I think that was a bit uncomfortable. Um, and, but, but my parents are, uh, they're pretty understanding. And, um, you know, I think they're open-minded because they're relatively open-minded given, given the, the context and the circumstances. Um, because they are entrepreneurial, uh, you know, unlike other sort of Jewish communities, uh, there was less of a dogma around getting a college degree, things like that. Uh, my mom doesn't have a degree. My dad uh, sort of barely got his, um, but but very smart and very sort of curious people. Um, and so I've always had a um, a, uh, a, a a more, I'd say, just questioning and non-traditional uh, approach to the system. Um, you know, I, I think that's partially because of my background, because I, I grew up in a system that was really, you know, ran parallel to, you know, the sort of American um, professional system. It was not the same system. It was it was one that was much more traditional, much more, uh, you know, much less sort of individualistic. Um, and so because I grew up with that perspective, um, when I started entering the 
you know, when I went to Wharton, when I started seeing what sort of professional life was like, what it meant to, um, you know, really pursue an ambition, I think I was able to look at that, that ladder, that path with a more discerning perspective uh, because it wasn't like my parents were hedge fund managers from Greenwich, Connecticut, um, and that they had gone to Penn and, you know, like, I, I felt almost like an immigrant to that world, uh, even though I had grown up in New York City. And, you know, I'm th I mean, I think at the time it was really difficult for me because I felt like this unbelievable gravity from the world I came from and a real striving to get out of it, uh, to, to escape. Um, and... You know, I think that th that was that was tough. But I, I think now looking back in 10 years, um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm far, I think I'm far wiser for having had that experience. And, um, you know, I'm thankful that uh, at the end of the day, my parents have been, my family's been just really supportive. And um, yeah, I mean, I think supportive in ways that were explicit and ways that also were sort of blessings in disguise, but I'd also say there was a lot of adversity. It was definitely not um, easy. Um, you know, I went to school and I was really eager to start a business and I started one as a sophomore and it started to get traction on campus. It was a learning management system called Lore. Um, and I actually left school to build it. Uh, so, you know, I don't have a college degree. I dropped out of Penn. And that was, you know, that was definitely uh, an interesting moment, um, you know, but uh, it, it really, I think it was the distillation of you know, where I wanted to go, where I came from, my reaction to that. And, um, and, and yeah, for, forced me to sort of grow up quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I want to get to universe in a second, but before maybe, you know, because you touched on a little bit. Um, what other businesses or startups did you found or start before you, before you got into Universe? Yeah, so the real one that I did before Universe was called Lore. It was a, what's called a learning management system, which is basically like a platform for the classes that you're taking in school. So, for example, let's say you're taking a course on accounting. Um, you know, you'd have a website for that course where you can download all the materials. You can check your grades. You can perhaps communicate with those students. We were using a, a very sort of outdated um, system called Blackboard, which was sort of the preeminent system across the U.S. And I teamed up with a couple of other students and designed a much simpler, easier to use um, system. And we originally called it Course Kit, and then we later rebranded it to Lore. Um, and the idea was really to take some of the elements of social networking and to bring it into the context of the classroom. Um, and we launched it while I was at school as a sophomore, started to use it in some of my classes, and it was really amazing and people loved it. And simultaneously, I started to learn about Silicon Valley, the idea of venture capital, which was all new to me, uh, the idea that you could go with an idea and a PowerPoint and raise a million dollars. That was a crazy idea to me. Um, and, you know, started learning about that and realized that uh, in this sort of ecosystem, 
there was this irreverence and this um, this sort of re rebellious nature that didn't respect um, traditional credentialism in the way that you know the sort of elite schools did, and that was very appealing to me. Um, and so, uh, you know, saw a window to really go and build a company. Ended up leaving school, moving to New York. We raised six million dollars for that business. Eventually, sold it after about two years to a company called Noodle in New York. Uh, incredible learning experience. You know, grew the team to about ten or so people. Um, I was nineteen uh, when I started oh, wow. it. So, so um, yeah, uh, I did that for a few years, and then I took a year to figure out what I wanted to do next. Uh, I moved to California, lived in the Bay Area for a while, um, and then I helped a friend get her business off the ground. It was called Reformation. Uh, the fashion brand, the sustainable fashion brand. Um, yeah, yeah. The the Israeli woman, uh, I forget her name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's actually not Israeli, but I think her dad is Israeli. Oh, okay. My but bad. her name is Yael. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so you worked with Reformation, uh, helping them. Uh, yeah, actually, I've, I I I know my uh, wife is a big fan of of the brand, so <laughs> that's that's the only reason I know of it. But yeah, her, my 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 uh, my mother, my whole the whole women's side of my family love the the brand. So that's awesome. Great. So that's good to hear. Yeah, <laughs> you did a good job. <laughs> and um, so yeah, so I've I've been wanting to say this all week. So essentially. After you did all those um, ventures and 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 helped uh, your friend, you became the founder of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that was a dad joke. But regardless, you founded a company. Uh, it's called Universe. And if you could maybe explain it to us and what the no code movement is, I've been actually really wanting to get into that a little like this whole week. I've been learning about it myself uh, just for things that I need on my end. And it's, it's, it's literally a universe. There's so much to learn. So I'd love to, to get your, your take on it. Absolutely. So universe is a new way of building things on the internet. Um, you know, we, our mission is to empower everyone to build the web. And what we mean by that is you, know, you have 5 billion people now using the web on a daily basis, but a very tiny fraction of those people, you know, million, single digit millions of people, so well, one out of every thousand people perhaps, can actually build things on the web. And I realized that that was not a function of innate ability or desire, like people are competent, they're able to do this and they want to do it. Um, however, it's a problem of tooling meaning there aren't tools that exist that enable people with great ideas to express those ideas in a way that makes sense to them. And what I realized is that we had witnessed a sort of paradigm shift in how the internet was used um, with mobile devices. With mobile devices, everyone on earth is now an internet user. So mobile devices, you know, we call them phones, but they're supercomputers. And now there's supercomputers in everyone's pocket. And those are primarily consumption-oriented devices. But what I realized and the thing that I became obsessed with was, could you design a tool for these devices that allowed anyone with one to actually build things? 
to build things online, to build websites, to build whatever they could imagine. So to do that, you couldn't just take code and put it on a phone because phones don't have keyboards, they don't have a mouse. The idea of writing code on a phone doesn't make any sense. Um, and so you'd need to really rethink how you create things in this context, um, which really became an exercise in thinking about user interfaces. Uh, so how do you design a user interface that meets people where they are and allows them to create what they want to create? To make a long story short, Universe Today is a website builder. It's a way to build a website from your phone. Uh, so you don't need to go on a desktop, you don't need a keyboard, you don't need a mouse, and you don't need to know any code. It's entirely drag and drop. The system works like Lego. You've got building blocks. They sit on a grid. We've got 15 different blocks. We're adding new ones all the time. You can make any kind of website. You can make a store. You can make a portfolio. You could make you know whatever you can think of. Um, and you can do it in minutes from your phone without having to know anything technical. And we handle everything from getting a domain to hosting your site to you know, getting analytics, to designing it. Um, and we've been at it for about three years. We, when we first launched, uh, sort of powered very simple one-page sites. Um, but now the tool has significantly evolved. Um, you can really do anything with it now. And we're a 15-person team. We're distributed around the United States, so we're a remote-first company. We did Y Combinator in 2018. And uh, most recently, we raised our Series A from uh, GV, which is Google Ventures. Um, and that was a $10 million round. And we're growing really fast. Um, but you know, at a high level, what we want to do is to say, look, the way that you build things with computers is primarily through what are called programming languages. Um, programming languages are very powerful. You can really build anything with them. But they're esoteric. They're technical. They're for people who are specialists in using programming languages. Could we actually make not a programming language, but a universal language that works for everybody so that they could create in the full power of what is possible with a computer? Um, so that's the high level idea behind the company. We power half a million sites on the internet. We're growing that number on a daily basis. And we have a very ambitious product roadmap so that you know, anytime you want to create something, um, you should be able to do it in a way that's just super awesome, looks amazing, and is really fun to build. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so essentially, it's it's it, one of the things it does. It, it's a tool to test your ideas faster. You can get to market faster than you would if you essentially work with other development tools. I mean, that's one way of thinking about it. But the other way of thinking about it is our customer. I'll give you an example of our customer. Okay. Our customer um, is someone, I'll give you so a specific example. Uh, the top seller on Universe is a girl or woman named, uh, she calls herself Morgue. Um, and she has a website it's called inthemorgue.com. And she has 150,000 followers on TikTok. And uh, she saw you know, some of the celebrities that she was following were wearing these hoodies that had spikes on the, on the hood. Um, and she was like, I want that, but they're too expensive. So she started making them. She said, oh, other people will probably want these. So she designed the hoodie. She took a picture of it on her phone. And she made a website with Universe within a day. Um, and, and the next day, she started selling them. So in one day, she went from having an idea 
to putting it out into the world with a brand. And she's now our top seller. Um, and she's in Nebraska and like, you know, doesn't know what HTML and CSS are. And, um, you know, and her site looks incredibly unique. Like there's no way that anyone else would have made it. it it's a real expression of her. Um, and so that's an example of our customer. But we also have like people who are like pool service uh, repairmen and, um, you know, people who make jewelry and, uh, you know, musicians. And it's a lot of individuals who, um, you know, they, they often have a robust social media presence, but they don't have their own home yet online. Um, and so whether that's a small coffee shop or, uh, you know, an up and coming artist, our platform allows you to sort of manifest your vision online. Okay. So, but, so, but before talking in, in, in physical terms, right? Like I understand the, the concept. So let's say we have Wix or Squarespace or a few of the others. They're, they're mostly based on templates, right? There's templates and you just kind of fill in what needs to be. And from what I understand, this is more of a free flow type of concept, right? Yeah. Can you, exactly. can you kind of so, explain the, the difference to us? Yes. So all of the, so there's two differences between universe and the existing website builders and they go hand in hand. The first is that the existing website builders were all designed for desktop computers and universe was designed for mobile devices. That's the fundamental first difference. Secondly, other website builders start with templates. What do I mean by a template? A template, you can think of a template as, let's imagine your favorite website. And then imagine I said, you could actually replace all the words and all the pictures with your own words and pictures. But you couldn't change the layout. You couldn't change the structure of the page. You couldn't change how it works. You can just replace the content. Um, so that is a template. And a template allows you to make a nice site quickly. But the problem with the template is you can't actually make an original creation because the structure, the skeleton of the, the creation is given to you and you know predicted basically by the designer and developer of that template. On Universe, we have templates, but those templates all sit on top of what we call our grid. And our grid system is imagine that we took your phone and we divide it into a grid of squares. So three columns, six rows to start as so you've got 50, you know, 18 squares on the screen. Um, and in those squares, you can put what we call blocks. So a block is a photo, a video, any, anything you want to put text, etc. And you can drag things and move them around on that grid. Now you start on our system with a template. So we give you a design, but you can go in and change it however you want. There's no skeleton that, that you're sort of confined to, which means that, you can go from any one design to any other design in the same editor. You don't need to switch editors. Whereas use any of the other systems, you know, you're confined by that thing. So you know, we like to say that universe is much more like a language than it is like a sort of template constrained system. Um, because with a language, you can make things that have never been made before. But with a templating system, you're, you're basically filling in something that's already been made. So you'll never have something truly original created um, with a templating system. So like, so essentially, know, people people can with let's say within you know obviously the 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 phone and and the and the web base, but 
within your system, people can create things that you guys didn't even think of in, in theory, right? Like, whereas in Squarespace, they have to be confined to their strengths of, of the templates and they there's there's no getting out of that box where with you guys, you can essentially, in theory, build anything. However, yeah, however, I mean, every, however that you want it to look. Every single day we see um, unbelievable sites that we never could have imagined would be created with the universe. So the default, I would say, is an original design with our system, which is opposite for something like Squarespace. But even to even for Universe, you still need code to build Universe in order for people to use no code, correct? Correct. But the thing with that is that's perhaps worthwhile context. Yeah. If you look at code is not just code. There's different types of code. So. Um, you can think about code as almost like a uh, it's like a mountain, and um, there are sort of different levels of that mountain, that stack. And you know, at the base of the mountain is the machine, the the chip, and, and the chip, the computer, basically only knows one thing, on or off, binary, zero or one, yeah. and um, you know, if you take sort of eight of those uh, zero or one decisions, you get a bit. And um, and uh, everything is sort of compounded on that. So, for example, actually, with the computer, the way that uh, the the computer gets instructions is not in zeros or ones. It's in a language called assembly, which is not human readable. You can't actually understand what's happening but it's like a machine interpreted language. And then there is a language, like your operating system is written in very low level languages like C or C++ or these, these extremely technical languages that you wouldn't use as a normal programmer. And the, then on top of that, you have a language like Python or um, Objective-C. And then I'm, I'm gonna get technical for one second. And then on top of that, you have uh, more usable languages like JavaScript. What I'm trying to say is that there are different types of programming languages. And at the lowest level, they're extremely difficult to understand. Most humans don't understand them. Even programmers don't understand them. Um, as you, you know, get higher in that stack, the language becomes more and more human understandable and more sort of decoupled. But every language is actually built under the hood in another system. So what we're talking about is a series of abstractions that basically give you the power of the lower level language without you having to know the technical parts of that thing. You need a lower languages because that is you know, that gives you the full control of the machine. But when you're making a website, you don't need to know how the chip works. You just need to know, you know how to design a page in that way. Um, so when we think about universe, we think about this as a graphical and touch-based abstraction on the traditional tools to build websites, which are themselves abstractions on, on top of a tree of other abstractions. And so if you look at the history of software creation, it is a series of abstractions. Um, and so what we're doing is a continuation of that lineage. It happens to be a non-text-based abstraction which is why it's so different than the other ones. But that is where, that when we talk about no code, what we're talking about is 
non-code abstractions for creating software. Um, and so, for example, there are not, you know, non-code abstractions for building websites. There are non-code abstractions for um, building databases. So that's like Airtable and things like that. Um, and there will continue to be a proliferation of non-code based abstractions to do the things that you previously needed code to do. And this is not a crazy thing. It's just, this is the natural course of how it should develop. Um, you know, I'll give you an example, like, you know, original cards were manual transmission, right? Every car is manual transmission. Yeah. And you know, now most cards, at least in the US are automatic. And it, what we're saying is like, for someone who wants to use a car, they don't need to know how the engine and the transmission work. They, they just need to know that they want to move. Um, and so that's similar to what's happening with computing right now, which is as it becomes something that everybody's using as opposed to a bunch of geeks, the ways that you build things with it will themselves become a lot more human. Um, and that's a progression that you really see across all tooling. As it becomes more and more mainstream, the interface becomes removed in a way from how it works under the hood. Um, so like, you don't need to know how an engine works to drive a car. You don't need to know how a computer works to, to use a computer. You, you know, you don't need to, like, we interface, that's progress. That, that is, that is um, that, that's an evolution. Yeah, you're essentially democratizing coding, making it accessible for all instead of the 0.1% or whatever the number is right now that, that have access to it. Um, so uh, I'll read you these two quotes that, that I, I read this week and, and tell me what you think about them. The more access people have to a medium and the easier we make that access, creativity and output and innovation go through the roof, like printing press or music or movie slash content creation. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, I think, I yeah, think one thing I just say there is like. Um, the printing press was um, arguably, until recently, the most important development in human history because it allowed for the dissemination of knowledge um, at scale. And at the end of the day, progress is knowledge. Um, and uh, the Enlightenment, science-based, uh, sort of science-based approach to life, um, you know, market systems, um, you know, political revolution, um, all followed the, the printing press and would not have happened without it. Um, the web and the creation of the web is sort of the second coming of the, the printing press. Um, it's, it, it's the next version and it, it's, it is going to be, um, it already is, but this, it builds on everything that the printing press did, but it's doing it at several order of magnitudes, larger scale. And so we're going to look, I think, at the history of the world in time and you have these sort of inflection moments. And uh, the web, the internet, I think will look similar to the printing press, albeit at a more aggressive slope because we're accelerating progress. The thing I'd say is 
media is somewhat invisible, right? It's like, you know, when you consider, um, you know, a car, like an engine, and you consider a book, you know, one feels more powerful than the other in a way, right? Like a car is a physical machine. It's got a combustion engine. It's like it moves. It's real. Um, and a book is this sort of piece of paper, you know, like it's not, you know, it, it doesn't do anything. Um, but the book is actually more powerful in a lot of ways than the car because the book has ideas in it. And you could actually learn how to build a car with a book. Um, you know, so um, you can think about the internet as, um, you know, a billion scale, you know, trillion scale uh, sort of system of, of, of knowledge. Um, and that is the substrate which everything is built on. So right now we're in a world where like, if you have an internet connection, you could do anything. Like you can, you know, like obviously you need resource, things like that, but like you could um, learn how to farm. You can build a home. You can, um, you know, make music. You can, um, you know, invent all kinds of things with just that, that internet. Um, and so it's, it's the substrate from which it's all built. And the last thing I'd say is that the reason I became really interested in software is because software is like an extension of the mind. It only, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it is, if you think about it, like software um, is not usable by anyone but a human, right? Like a, a dog can't use software, can't think in software. Um, and so it's a incredibly like human pursuit. Um, and I think at its best is very augmentative um, into that process. So like, uh, I'm, I'm getting a little uh, sort of woo here, but um, there's this idea that a French theorist put out, I think it was in the forties. Um, and uh it's called the noosphere, N-O-O sphere. And it was basically this idea that at some point um, with electricity and telecommunications, um, you would have basically a global mind um, and that every individual would be connected to every other individual. And they would behave almost like neurons with synapses, uh, like a brain. And that that collective mind um, would be sort of the next evolution of humanity, um, where, you know, previously you had these sort of isolated neurons. And if you connect them, uh, you end up with this whole new animal. We are in the middle of that process right now. The internet is the noosphere and it's changing everything. And we're, we're right now seeing the implications of that. Um, and I think we're in the very early part of that story. And it's going to be the defining story of the next hundred years. Yeah. The internet, um, the internet and then iPhones. And I think it's, um, it's very polarizing. Obviously what it's done for the world is, is immeasurable. It's, it's unbelievable. And it's completely changed the world in the last I don't know, 20, 30 years, but it's, it's just like anything. It's, we can use it for good. There's social media, it connects people, but then there's social media 
and it does a lot of harm to people as well with with anxiety. And then there's phones that enslave us essentially that we have to be connected to emails and and then all these messaging apps. But then it also again it connects us with other people that allows us to do work remotely. It's all this good and bad thing, right? There's a, there's it's an era of information, but it's also the era of, of misinformation. And it's so easy to just put up a website and a YouTube channel and you can say whatever you want. And if you're confident enough, people will believe you. So it's just this this amazing tool that people created. And then people are some people are using very wisely and then others are just I don't know. I, I don't want to say ruining it for the rest of us, but we've we've all kind of just we're getting accustomed to to the ills, uh, to the potential ills that the internet can provide. I think there's some uh, responsibility on our end to 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 do a better job w- with the internet, um, especially with the younger generation. Um, like if I, I I always think about this, like if I was growing up with social media, because I you know I only got a phone when I was maybe twenty, um, I mean, yeah, nineteen or twenty. And, um, and that was just a regular phone. I didn't even have all the, all the crap that they have, you know, on iPhones today, which is a, a whole world in, in the palm of your hands. And if I was a kid, just like, I was just a stupid kid. Right. And like, if I had the phone, what would I have done with social media? What stupid posts would I have put up? What stupid pictures would I have sent? I was just like, I don't know if I'd have the, 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 the maturity to handle a phone at such a young age. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I mean, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, the internet can be a great place or it could be a terrible place. And that is up to us. Um, and uh, it's why I think that a lot of the larger companies um, have an immense responsibility to do the right thing. Um, and a lot of them are failing. Um, but the, progress is not inevitable. Um, and th- this incredibly powerful technology could be used for ill or for good. And it, it needs to, we need to, we have the power to change and shape its trajectory. It's not inevitable. And um, I think that, you know, uh, some of the large companies are sort of advocating that responsibility and and, and um, doing the world a disservice. Yeah. So, so so here's the second quote that I wanted to read you. Um, by 2024, three quarters of large enterprises will be using at least four low-code development tools for both IT application development and citizen development initiatives. So can you explain maybe the difference between no-code and low-code? Yeah. I mean, look, these are just words. Um, that have emerged um, over the past year. Um, I've been thinking about this for a while, but basically, I mean, no code means there's no code, um, but you're able to do things that you previously needed code to do. And low code means that you're using small amounts of code to do things that previously required large amounts of code. Thinking about low code is something that like you know, developers use, like more traditional developers use, and no code as something that non-developers use. But even within no code, there's a spectrum, like something like Webflow, uh, which is an amazing product, really requires a familiarity and a, tech, a technical aptitude, um, you know, even though it doesn't require code. Whereas Universe is 
for everyone. It, it, you know, it is, um, it's easy enough. If you know how to use Instagram, you can use Universe. And so that is a sort of consumer grade, quote unquote, no code tool. In the future, not, not just companies, but every individual on earth is going to touch no code tools. It's just the natural evolution of the internet, of, of software. I mean, one way of thinking about it is like, there was a time and place where, you know, Microsoft Excel, that, that is a no code tool, right? And it's, it, you know, before Excel, you needed to write code to do a lot of the things you can do with Excel. Um, and so spreadsheets as, as we know them um, are, are sort of original. They're the OG no code tool. Um, there are going to be a lot more paradigms like that in the future. So earlier you mentioned that you guys raised uh, 10 million from Google Ventures. Um, what is that 10 million? Where is that going to take you? And, 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 you know, how do you see future in the next few years? Uh, yeah, sorry, universe, universe in the next few years. Yeah, it's primarily um, we're going to use that capital to really improve and develop our product, um, which means attracting the best people in the world to help us build it. And, uh, you know, really, really going heads down in that way. And then also getting the word out about what we're doing. Um, but primarily for us, it's about building and empowering us to build more. Um, and to do that, that is a function of, you know, great people, um, you know, organized in, in a way that uh, you know, brings the best out of them. So let's talk about the team a little bit. Um, your team is pretty much remote. You, you have people from all over the world. And, and you were doing that pre-COVID, correct? Yeah. Yeah, because now, now everyone's doing it, but you were doing that pre. So, yeah, maybe talk to us a little bit about that. How do you, how do you feel working with the remote team? How has that worked out for you guys? And, and where um, are the people located? So, yeah, absolutely. We are totally distributed. We have people in New York, New Jersey, um, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, California, Texas. Um, and we've been remote from day one. Uh, Ryan, our CTO and first um, employee, is based in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and he opened my eyes to uh, sort of the idea of being remote work three years ago. We've been doing it for three years, um, and we started hiring some of his friends down there. And you know, we we will um, we will we are we are a different kind of company. Not it starts with the fact that people are not located in the same room as each other, but. Um, in practice, it means that we work differently across the board. We're much more explicit. We use written communication a lot more. We um, uh, we use uh, Slack as our office. Um, and uh, I would say in general, we are a much more effective company than most companies that are located in the same room because we it's almost like a machine um, that that has a design as opposed to relying on just like, the soft human things. Um, and look, there are challenges like brainstorming in person is better a lot of times than brainstorming over the internet. That's going to, you know, over time, the, the tools for doing that online will get better and we'll be on that. But we also get together every so often 
um, you know, so we can we can do some of those sessions. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, if is there, I'm assuming when you hire people, you you meet them, or is that or is that also done via Zoom and, and other platforms? Well, I've met most of the people before we've hired them, except we've hired five people in the last two, three months, and I haven't met a handful of them uh, in person. That's crazy. Um, So, I mean, are are you just looking at, when you hire someone, are you just looking at a resume or are there specific characteristics that that you look for? We have, no, so, I mean, first of all, our recruiting process is extensive, even though we don't meet them in person. Yeah. Um, We have the three primary values at Universe. Um, They are uh, what we call EEK. E-E-K. And uh, the first one is empowerment. So we believe in empowering people to do things. Um, that's with our product, but it's also at our company. So, uh, you know, we hire people who are incredibly talented. We give them ownership over problems and we empower them to solve them the way that they think that they should be solved. Um, and so it's, it's a great place for people who crave autonomy um, and you know, space to do their best work. The second thing is what we call, um, is our second value, it's exploration. Um, so exploration to us is about approaching the world and our work with a curious and inquisitive mind, um, knowing that we don't know, um, you know everything and that, um, that we're trying to do something that's never been done before. And the only way that you do that is by understanding that the rule book is being written as we go. We're figuring it out as we go, um, which means that, you know, we need to be asking good questions. Our answers will change as we get smarter. Um, and so, uh, so that's, that's the second value, um, you know, sort of uh, approaching the world with an open mind and, um, and a sense of play uh, in that. And then finally, um, Kaizen, and Kaizen in Japanese means continuous improvement. Um, and it's this idea that, you know, we aspire towards greatness, um, towards uh, perfection. However, we understand that the way to get there is not to go head down for five years, but instead to make constant iterative progress. So every week we ship an update of our app. We're constantly making it better. And uh, that applies not just for our product. It applies for our company. The way that we work, um, we sort of shift the minimum version that we could think of. We learn about how it performs, how it works, and then we go and do another path. So those are sort of the things that we look for in new people. Do they value empowerment? Do they have an exploratory mindset? Um, And are they sort of committed to this growth, this continuous improvement? Um, and, uh, And that's sort of what we're looking for with our folks. Well. That's awesome, man. Um, I mean, I, I know you probably get this question a lot, but why Universe? Why did you guys name the the app Universe? Um, you know, I think that Sarah, your point, like the internet is like another place. It's a new parallel universe in a lot of ways, and uh, I wanted I wanted something that captured the awe, the grandeur of that. Um, and what's possible uh, with that. Um, I also am a space geek. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's epic. It's an awesome word. 
I mean, look, it worked. The, the fact that, you know, I, I've heard a, a couple of podcasts and everyone asked you and I've asked you. So the fact that people are asking you why you named it that, that in itself is a good enough reason. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, was, was this when you when you built Universe or, or at least started it, was this what you set out to do or was there some failures or lessons along the way that, that you kind of learned and decided to pivot or change some direction with the initial idea? Definitely. Uh, we actually pivoted halfway into the business. Um, uh, so when I first started the company, we were, um, we were actually not building a website builder. We were building same idea of a universal language for building things on the internet, but um, it was a social network. So you weren't building websites, you were building what we called verses mm-hmm. and um, spent a couple of years on that. And it never really got traction in market. Um, and so in 2017, did a hard pivot into this direction um, and have had traction ever since. But it was a really, uh, it was, it was, you know, that was a really strong turning point. At that moment in 2017, it was just me at the company, um, and so basically built a thing from scratch. Um, at that point, uh, taking some of the technology that we had developed, um, but really repositioning it and building a new team, and, um, and, and you know, that was uh, that was a major inflection moment for us. Well, yeah. I feel like there's almost no startup that just doesn't pivot at some point, either changing the idea, changing the name, the logo, you know, from YouTube to um, to Lyft to just, just about all of them. They just, they don't start out with the, they don't finish with the original idea that they started. You know, why, why do you think that is? Because a startup is, fundamentally an inquiry it's a process of creating something new in the world and uh we have before we start the startup we have an idea um about the world and how it should be and once we get into it we learn um we learn a lot more about uh why things are the way they are what the best path is to affect change and so it's like, imagine you're like skiing and you're looking at the trail that you're going down and you have an idea of how you're going to navigate that path. But once you're in it, uh, you might realize that there is a boulder. And so you need to move um, and dodge that, or uh, you need to cut left um, you know, to get to where you want to go. So you have a lot more exposure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so it's just like, uh, once you're in in it, once you're in the thick of it, you, you see a lot more, um, and you understand how to play it. Uh, so, you know, the way of thinking about it is, it's very similar to like the scientific process, which is like you have a thesis, you test that thesis, um, you get results, and then you modify your thesis. That 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 it's a progress of like learning as you go. Um, so it's very rare that before you actually get into a problem space, you know the full extent of the problem and the way that you're solving it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think earlier we, we were talking a little bit about responsibility from some of the major players, some of the big tech companies. Um, do you see, and, and this is something I, I, I'm noticing for myself and, and I'm sure most people are, do you see us giving up more and more 
of our agency to, to machines and algorithms and AI. I mean, we don't remember a single number nowadays, right? It's all in your phone where before, like I used to, I, you know, when I was a kid, I knew my, my best friend's numbers. I knew my phone, all the numbers, right? I, you know, you don't really know what your schedule is. Everything's on your phone. The machine is telling you when you should drink, when you should eat, how much you work out. Just basically your whole life is inside this little machine and it's telling you what to do, how to do it and when to do it. So I, I think it's a great point. And I think that there's sort of two branches of an answer. On the one hand, yeah, a thousand percent, like you, you don't remember, you don't remember phone numbers, but you shouldn't remember phone numbers. Like that's not something a human needs to do. Um, and so at, at the best side of this, um, technology offloads a lot of the stuff that we previously had to do on our own. And what that does is it gives us leverage. It'll, it frees us up to do higher functioning uh, things. So you, you could almost think of it as like you can play more of the executive role in your life. And that progress will continue to happen as we have AI. This is progress. It is augmenting what an individual is capable of doing. However, there are companies and individuals who create software that exploit um, that. So because technology is becoming ever more powerful, uh, the people who create that technology can design it to either empower or to exploit. Um, so for example, something like Facebook um, is really designed to exploit. And what do I mean by that? Well, you can think about Facebook as not a social network, but actually a store a store that sells other people's time. Who does it sell that time to? It sells that time to advertisers. So if you're a shoemaker and you want to sell your product to people, you go to Facebook and you say, uh, I want people who are likely to buy my shoes. And then Facebook says, okay, I've got this time that I'm going to sell to you so that you can put your message in front of those people. Um, and they have that time categorized by all of the qualities and the attributes of the individual who is 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 whose time they're selling, um, and so Facebook as a business is incentivized to get more of people's time so that they can sell more of it, right? Like you can think about Facebook's inventory as other people's time, similar to how a traditional business's inventory would be, like T-shirts. So. You can your your T-shirt business can only be as big as the number of T-shirts that you have. So similar to Facebook, its business can only be as large as the time that it has from other people. And so um, that incentive creates a structure where Facebook is designed to exploit people and take more and more of their time. Whereas another kind of business could say, no, I want to actually give people time. I want to empower them to do more with less. To uh, you know, spend less time on, in front of a screen and to more time to go doing things that they love to do. Um, and so that's a function of business models. Uh, it all starts with the business model. So if you have a business model that um, is empowering, you're going to build empowering things. If you have a business model that is exploitive, you're going to build exploitive things. And so it's really not a question of, is it good or bad that technology uh, is doing more? It's a question of, you know, is it doing more in a good way or a bad way? Yeah. Well, I, I do see, I, I think 
because especially in, in modern day and if you have a family and kids and two jobs and mortgage and cars and you have to clean the house and you have to, there's just so many things we're just inclined to give up some of our agency to a machine right it doesn't matter if it's an alexa or our phone or our computers or whatever other gadget you have and i think people will i don't want to say lazy but it's just it's it's very it's convenient convenience is 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 key and we just want to have as much convenience as possible so i think it's inevitable that we will keep giving up more you know like like we said earlier i don't think facebook set out right now we like i don't have facebook but people that are on facebook they're the product initially and facebook i don't think they set out with that in mind they're not they didn't say oh i'm going to sell people to advertisers and that's the way i'm going to make money even though now they're just in the business of outrage and sensationalism but i think that's something that just evolved with time and people gave up more and more of their information more and more of their likes and dislikes and they realized okay this is something we can monetize so i i, I don't know i just see this this natural progression into us giving up and again i'm not saying it is good or bad i'm just saying it just seems like that is a trajectory of us giving up more of our agency to you know algorithms and ais but that's a function. So Facebook's, yeah, you're right. Facebook's business model was not premeditated. That's a problem. If you don't have a business model up front, then um, you're going to need to come up with one at some point. And that often will not necessarily be in your user's best interest. So it's, it's, it's not, uh, again, it is progress. Like, Humans should be doing things that only humans can do. If a machine can do it, a machine should do it. So, like, what does that mean? Well, creating things, being inventive, you know, having relationships, inspiring. Those are things that making art. Those are things that humans should do. Um, you know, a human should not be assembling a car. Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's not, that's not what humans are special at doing. Um, and so anything that a, a computer a machine is capable of doing, it should do. Um, and that's going to free up humans to do more, better things. Um, so that's how I look at it. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree in, in that sense. So, I mean, wh where do you see us evolving from phones? Is there going to be some new interface that will change what we currently use? Is that something you see happening in the future? Yeah, I mean, the way I look at that is phones are here to stay, um, just like computers uh, have been with us for the past 40 years. Mm -hmm. However, um, I think that we're going to see a proliferation of computing in, in everything. So you're going to have, like you already do, like I'm wearing AirPods right now. Those are computers. Um, you're going to wear a pair of glasses that have a computer in them. Uh, you're going to, you know, you, we already wear a watch. and like every, computing is going to be everywhere. And so think about the next iteration of computing as being something that's from confined, going from confined to a screen to, you know, being everywhere, like the air that you breathe. And, um, you know, in that world, um, you know, our job at universe is really to allow you to build things in that context. Um, so, you know, I think I'm really optimistic about technologies like AR. Um, but I don't think these things are replacements most of the time. They're additive. Um, so 
we'll have all of them. Yeah, I've heard you say um, we want to create things the way we see them in the real world. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Well, it's just like the, um, what I mean by that is we want to empower people to build things um, as they sort of experience them. So like, uh, you know, um, when when you say, I want to build a house, mm-hmm. you know what a house looks like. And you say, okay, I want it to have that kind of roof and I want it to have, you know, uh, that kind of floor and you're, 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 you're using, um, your model of a house to create a new one. Um, and it's not like, Oh, I want to think about the construction of the wood that makes the floor. No, you're like, I want that floor. Um, and so when we think about building things online, um, you should be able to use that same sort of visual tactile way of thinking as opposed to thinking about the underlying construction for every decision that you're making in terms of creating. Wow. Uh, I really like that. I've never actually thought of it in, in, in that sense. That is very, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. That's a very interesting way to look at it. Um, have you seen, I guess, any pushback um, from engineers or developers? Because, I mean, essentially, if we keep going down this route, this somewhat nullifies their their expertise, right? And 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 the need to use them in some sense. Absolutely, and I think some engineers are uh, defensive and protective of that. Yeah. But you know, I think a lot of engineers are very excited about this future uh, because they know that they work on a stack of abstractions and that progress is the continuing abstraction of uh, creation tools. And they're very excited about giving other people the power that they have because they know the world will be better for it. Um, So yeah, I actually think in the future, um, a lot of what engineers do right now, they will not be doing in the future. Um, And so we often think about like uh, engineers as like, you know, very highly paid. Um, But I think, you know, th- there's always going to be a place like again the same process of scaling the ladder of executive function meaning um if the machine is doing more of the legwork then that means that you can think more strategically that's going to happen in engineering and in the creation of things with software and so that's going to allow us to have even better quality and more inventive things um so that will uh, that will happen, um, and I think in 20 years, uh, the nature of creating things with software will be fundamentally different. I want to read you another quote um, by Mike Maples, who uh, Mike Maples Jr., who's a partner at uh, Flightgate VC. He says that a company is not a, a startup is not a company. A startup is a set of founders with proprietary insights, living in the future, coming back to the present to solve problems. I, I love that quote, and I just wanted to get your insight on that. I think that's a really good way of putting it. I mean, look, uh, um, I think the best, I think, yeah, I, mean, I think that's very well said, which is to say, like, you have an idea about how the world should look, and 
that idea is in your mind as a possibility of what the world can look like. Um, and you start a company to will that idea into existence. A company is the medium, it's the canvas in which you bring that idea into the world. So if you think about an artist who's working on a painting, they have in their mind's eye an idea of what they want to express and they manifest that idea on a canvas. Um, and then it exists in the world and they put it out and then it has its own life. Um, and the same thing is true with a startup, which is to say you have an idea about how the world should look and you then bring it into existence. Um, the difference between a company and a painting is that the company is living and breathing uh, and it's constantly changing and it's actually producing things on its own. Um, it's a machine that makes machines, if you yeah. will. Um, yeah. And to me, I've always thought about it like that. I think I've found a lot more resonance with artists than I have with other business people. Um, you know, uh, the people who inspire me the most are often um, artists and, um, you know, entrepreneurs who are, uh, are artists. Um, to me, you know, entrepreneurs are a lot of times more like artists than they are like traditional professional business people. Yeah, I, th I think Naval said something uh, s similar along those lines where if you want to learn about business, don't study business, you know, go study history, study artists, study GI, study different things that correlate, but don't go study business. Um, so it's interesting that you have that same perception. Um, I know there's a lot of um, entrepreneurs and, and kind of first time founders that, that listen to the show. Um, it, what are some mistakes that you see, or if 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 at all, uh, first-time founders do? Um, personally, I, I found that something that I was um, guilty of was time mismanagement, and that's something that since I've worked on. But is there some something that you see just over underlying issue that first-time founders keep doing? Um, yes, and I think that I'm guilty of this, and I know a lot of people. Uh, that are and have been as well, um, which is the idea of startup ADD. So a lot of founders um, have sort of ADD personalities where we like stimulation. We have new ideas all the time. We're you know constantly thinking about what's possible. And when you go into starting a company, um, you're always, as you confront challenges, your mind is amazing at producing other ideas that seem like they don't have any of the challenges that you're currently facing. And so um, the mistake is to just abandon what you're doing and go do another idea. Um, and that is, um, that's not how things are built. Things are built with commitment. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't iterate um, within to find signal. Um, but, you know, don't abandon. Like there is a lot of value in following the thread. Um, so there's a difference between you know, um, iteration and, um, you know, sort of, uh, following a thread and, uh, and just sort of being schizophrenic and, 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 you know, not actually, uh, committing to a direction. So I think commitment is vastly underrated, um, uh, when it comes to startups and entrepreneurialism. Yeah. I'm, I'm a hundred percent guilty of that. You know, I, uh, I I just now what I do is I'll just I'll just have a list 
and it's an idealist and I just put it there. And if there's ever a time that I want to access that and, and maybe try one of those, I'll do that. But yeah, instead of what I used to do is like, okay, let, let me try and see if I can do two or three things at a time. And that usually doesn't work. Um, so now I just put it all on this massive list and just keep it there. And if one day then, yeah. So I, I guess on my end, um, I, I have just one final question. Um, so how I found you was on the Forbes, uh, 30 under 30. So maybe how did that happen? And, uh, how have you, I guess, how has it been since? Has that opened any doors? Have you gotten a bit more attention, you know? Or not really? Um, no, I mean, we're doing this podcast, so <laughs> uh, we probably wouldn't have if I wasn't on it. Yeah. I don't read too much into stuff like that. It's not it's not something I aspire towards. Um, however, to the extent that it opens me up to interesting connections, new people, uh, new ideas, it's awesome. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know how I ended up on it, actually, but um, they reached out and uh, you know, I, it doesn't mean anything to me yeah. uh, personally, but the fact that uh, it exposes me and what we're doing to interesting people um, is awesome. The way I look at it is like, I think to our earlier point about what a startup is um, and sort of bringing a bit of the future into the present. Um, I think when you do that, start creating something, that thing generates gravity. What I mean by that is it like, starts to generate like a magnetic uh, field and other things become attracted to it. Um, and so that little tiny seed of a thing starts to grow and starts to sort of snowball. And as it snowballs, it generates more gravity. And how does it generate gravity? Well, word of mouth, people talk about the thing that you're doing. Um, you know, people work there and their friends now know about it. Um, there's press and so other people know it. So it can, as the thing grows, it continues to generate more and more gravity. And I think uh, you know, something like the Forbes list is, is another example of that gravity. And what that does is it attracts flies like uh, that are interested in some way. And that's the process of building something from nothing. Um, and hopefully we're just at the start of that process and we're going to build something that has a lot more gravity than it currently does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with that. It's um, it's like staying on the bicycle. All you have to do is just keep pedaling and that inertia will just keep you going. Um, exactly. All right, man. I uh, I want to appreciate. I want to thank you uh, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate the time. Um, you're a analytical thinker. You're an ideas person, and I love that. Um, I really had a you know a lot of fun listening to um, how you analyze things. So thanks again. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people find the app? Yeah. Well, first off, you can find me on my website. It's cohen.space. Uh, and uh, you'll find links to my Twitter and my Instagram from there. Um, so cohen.space. And you can find Universe on the App Store. Just type in Universe and it'll show up. Um, it's a free download. You can get started building your site in minutes. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, hopefully I wasn't too abstract uh but i enjoyed the conversation i think you asked some great questions no not at all man you actually uh you got me thinking about a few things in, in ways that i just an hour and a half ago i i didn't think that way so that that's you know that's a gift and then i'll put all the information in the show notes so everyone can find it um super easy and yeah man thanks again hopefully we can do this again in the future
Absolutely. All right, man. Stay safe.